0: Welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I have a frequent collaborator, Adam Piano, all the way from Phoenix, Arizona, where he's the chief strategy officer uh, at an agency called Santee. He also runs a podcast called The Strategy Inside Everything, and he released a book that according to the Sweathead community on Facebook, the Facebook uh, group is becoming something of a cult classic that senior strategy people are peddling to their junior strategists. Welcome,
1: Adam. Hey, man, thank you so much for having me. And that's hilarious. Uh, you sent me a screenshot from that community. And I was like, Oh, I guess I wrote a cult book. That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And then you also said to tell them that I know you so that I will seem more impressive. So you know yeah. what I did? You know what I did? I told them that. <laughs> but, I, but I also told them that you told me to say that. So I don't know. I don't know, <laughs> you know who I that works out for.
1: <laughs> now I look lame. Thanks a lot, buddy.
0: So you're, you're uh, are, we, are we six months into Underthink It being out or a little bit more?
1: Yeah, no, it came out in November. So yeah, just about six months.
0: They're perfect. And how's that journey been?
1: It's been fun. Uh, so he, until you sent me that screenshot, literally, I have no idea how it's doing. Like I see sales numbers and they're, they're for, for the book, it's good. I don't know what that means in culture or if I'm making an impact that I wanted to make, which was, hey, I don't feel like there's a lot of material out there for people to train new strategists or people coming from other disciplines that want to learn strategy that's why I wrote the book. So when you sent me that, it was actually, we, we goofed around about it, but that was actually really gratifying to see young people saying, oh, my director gave me this book and said, it's really helpful. And I'm, I'm passing it on to you because it was,
0: mm.
1: that was it. I was like, oh, okay, good. People are getting what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and it's been uh, it's been fun to get feedback from people and build my... You know, network and community with just people from Ireland and UK, and and talking to people like uh, your buddy Ian and uh, Melbourne, like yeah, 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 smart, smart, smart people who have an opinion, and some agree and some disagree, and that's great. I love it. I love the debate, and I love uh, obviously I like to hear positive, but I'm trying to learn. I'm not the authority on it, so it's nice to get someone to say, well, I don't. This is quite. This isn't quite right. Mm. Tell me more. Like, let's go.
0: Let's chat, let's chat about the title for a second, because I find myself in lots of conversations where people are racing to execution and not thinking, oh, and man. so they want to think. But on the other hand, there's a lot of grandstanding thinking of presentations that are 100 to 200 slides, and you're about un- underthinking. Like, how do you get it right?
1: Yeah, the balance is not easy. And it's, it, the title comes from uh, actually an art director that I used to work with who when it would get to, we had a great idea, and now we have to build that deck, and all the swirling, the forest of things that grow up around it that obscure the actual concept, and 90 slides of strategy before we get to that. Come on, man. He would always just, he had this southern accent, and he'd say, come on, underthink it, and it's stuck in my main, stuck in my mind that we make it more complicated than it needs to be, and if you take, if you boil things down, it's very much like uh not to put myself in the same class, but like Professor Sharp, it's like, hey, just ignore this this noisy part, distill it down to this is what's important, and now how do you support the important part that That's what underthink it means is, is I list a bunch of tools in the book. Nobody should use all those tools on every project. That's the opposite. And in fact, something funny, um, I regretted that title like immediately, because as a means of promoting the book, I put up two title designs on like LinkedIn and Twitter and said, A, B, which one do you like? I had already decided I was going with the orange cover. I never intended to use the other cover, but it was a means to get people to discuss the book before it was out, you know? I'm very clever, Mark. I don't know if you knew that. And so people were voting, and then, you know, every time this thing went up, some smartass was like, are you underthinking it right now? You might be overthinking the under, And I was like, I should have called it something else.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my, my theory, my theory, and I'm totally projecting, because I at one point named my little personal website, "Life and Strategy," and I'm really not that good at the life part of it. And I'm, I'm, okay, <laughs> I'm okay at the strategy part of it. I, my feeling is underthink it is what you say to yourself in life and not just in strategy.
1: Oh dude, I'm um, yeah. I don't underthink it. Yeah, um, it's a mantra for me that I have to live up to for sure. And that's that's another funny thing. I don't a lot of the things in that book I don't execute. My boss was like, "Hey, I, I've been reading your book and I, I read it a couple times." He's like, "Do we do this?" And I'm like, "I wish we did it every time." I'm like, "Sometimes we can't. You know, sometimes we don't." So. Don't fire me. You know? See
0: now, now, if you had ever done yoga with me, because I know you, you're yoga resistant, yoga averse. Yeah. The, you know?
1: the last holdout.
0: You might, well, not the last, there are many, but you might have you come across the phrase that uh, this pose is available to you. So, you know, I think your response to your boss would be, well, they're, they're just poses and they're available people, to people as, as they need them. They're
1: just- <laughs> he's, I think he's yoga resistant too. I'm not sure he would get that either. But <laughs> Last time we were together, you almost had me like, you had me really considering yoga. Um, but I still haven't jumped in yet.
0: So we just need to spend more time, more time I, together.
1: That's it. I'm coming to New York in a couple of weeks, by the way. So mm-hmm. now we'll one,
0: one of the things that we wanted to talk about is, um, it kind of does connect with underthinking it, but not in necessarily a great way. And that is the idea of conformity and how easy it is for companies and brands to turn up in very, uh, same, similar ways in different channels. What's your, where's your, what's your thesis right now? What's, what's occupying your mind on this theme?
1: Yeah. So, um, this is both the, the, uh, my professional focus right now is we're retooling how we do, how we organize our company to encompass, uh, strategy, creative social media, PR and all those things. How do they all work together? And then also, not coincidentally, I guess, is the the next book that I'm working on. It's like, my brain is really consumed with this right now. So I would love you to to kind of debate this with me and bash it about. Uh,
0: Can you talk into the microphone as we do this?
1: Yeah, am I getting... You have a microphone. You have a
0: microphone. For people who aren't watching this, he has a microphone.
1: (laughs) Sorry, is is the audio crap?
0: Sorry, you've I'll become stay. too too casual and confident in your yeah. You're like mic, microphone adjacent.
1: <laughs> if they only hear every third word, I figure it's it's still spinning pearls.
0: Well, it's art. Everything's art.
1: Exactly. So sorry about that. But um, so what we started to think about is if I say to you, if I say this brand is going to be on Pinterest, you will probably, without me telling you the brand, have a sense of what those images are going to look like because. Pinterest has its own look and feel. Uh, and it was one of the, someone on my strategy team that pointed that out to me, you know, maybe two years ago that was like, when we say Pinterest, there's, like, there's a look and feel for Pinterest. Isn't that weird? It is weird. If I say Instagram, you, you start to think of not only uh, the look and the feel and kind of the flat lighting, but you start to get a sense of the kinds of brands that are there and advertising and and it's either those fab fit fun selfies of of women on a couch with their little fab box or uh, what is it? Disruptive trousers. You know, like you kind of get a sense of what the content is that lives on that platform. And brands, I don't know what percentage, but 90% of brands dive into that sensibility instead of saying, well, how should our brand live there? And I, I say that without reservation. I mean, I don't think most brands put up a fight. They just go, "Oh, okay." So we want it to look like the the disruptive trouser brand. Yeah, cool, do it. We want it to be Pinterest. Okay, so get some swirly script type and put it over an image of a kitchen. Mm-hmm. But we don't sell anything that happens in a kitchen. It's Pinterest. Goddamn it, just do it.
0: You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I see that. I think there are a few things that come to mind there. I mean, I really do believe if if I was working on something that was about bringing an interesting brand to life in certain social channels that I will map the common behaviors and conventions of those channels. You know, what hashtags are people using? Are they using them in, in interesting ways? How does the community interact with itself? You know, back in the day when you're looking at parenting websites, DH, what's that all about? Darling husband, DS, darling son, you know, you pick yeah. up conventions when you look at, you know, I did a, pro- a project 48 hour research sprint where we were looking at alcohol brands and how they were turning up just after one of the big algorithm changes in Facebook. And I would map, the the trends of successful alcohol, um, basically visuals on on Facebook and Instagram, put it on a page, and you do that. You need to see what's there, but then there's a decision, which is well, hang on. First of all, what you also then need to do is go back to first principles. Why is this stuff working? Right. And then, and then there's a little decision tree, which is, do I do that, or do I mess with the convention?
1: Right. And you know, one thing that I've seen so much is. And we can get into the the kind of politics of it and, of it and uh, how org charts work and how ag- agencies are organized. And you and I have talked a lot about that. But for social, a lot of it is it's digital, so it's measured, so it's metrics. So we do everything that goes up, we do more of, and everything that goes down, we do less of. And that is super messed up. If I if I do what you just laid out, and I map everything out, and we're talking about pizza brands, and they're all doing well because they're showing kind of user-generated type images of pizza that's sloppy on a plate. And then I say, well, then I'm gonna do the same thing because I want the same results that must be working. And then I get the results that are even with them. I'm not growing that way. If every month I go, oh, my my 6,000 followers, my 100,000 followers like this, I'm not getting any new people to come in and see new things. I'm just going, oh, they liked it, let's do it again. So you're, you're limiting, you're building a wall around your brand by doing that.
0: But I do believe in, there's a little pyramid that I kind of, I don't know if I stole it or adapted it or came up with it, which is basically my entire life, uh, around graduating what works. So starting with little things, which could be something that, you know, as an individual, a piece of micro content could be something that takes me a minute, five minutes to do. And I used to measure it in time or think about it in time. And you might post five or 10 things and you're like, oh my God, people are really interested in brainstorming techniques. Okay. I'll migrate that up to what I will call from micro content to regular content, which at least back in the day was say a 700 word blog post. And then you hit a bunch of different topics and you see one of them work and you go, oh, let's migrate that up. And there are two other little pieces to this pyramid. One is uh, features and the other is feats. So hero content and then superhero content where hero content from a journalist's point of view, might be something, even this is quick, but it's probably not quick for, for 2018, hero content might be something you spend a week on. Superhero content is like that thing you do that might take three to six months to happen. Right. But you, quarterly,
1: you know, quarterly piece.
0: Yeah, you're learning and migrating. Um, one of the other behaviors is that I've seen very, very often is I think a lot of companies are way too focused on their competition. And I've seen so many decks where someone's launching a phone and yep, they've got a presentation of 20 other people who've launched phones. And they're like, we want that, please. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, don't do that. I mean, it's good, to, it's good to build the context and it's good to say, oh, these are things that have happened. These are things that have worked and Apple did this well, Samsung did that well, LG shit the bed here. But um, you have to forge your own path at some point. You can't just say, here's the case study from two years ago. We're just going to copy paste it into our future case study and we'll update the metrics. So they did these three tactics. That's what we're going to do. And okay. I mean... Not everybody can do what Apple does You don't have the TV budget, but mm-hmm. you can steal the bits that you can steal, but you're just copying them and that's what it looks like. That's why LG, when they tried it, it failed. Yep. It's, not, it's not who they are.
0: Well, I, just, I wonder if there's a couple of di- d- dynamics happening there. One is that it's, if you're doing something that looks like it's been done before, it's, <laughs> you know, it's harder to get fired for that. And, and then also, <laughs> I think more and more people are involved with creative decisions who aren't conceptually trained.
1: Yeah. Well, there's there's more and more of that for sure. And a lot of it does come down from uh, metrics before or um, KPIs, goals that we have to hit, and then forecasting what we think is going to work. And that creates fear and fear is the enemy of creativity. So creative people who hear, well, it has to get this many shares or something. It's like, well, shit, I don't know. What's the thing that got that many shares? Let's just steal that or let's just do something similar because... It, it's scary to fail. It's scary when someone says, and here's the hard number. Mm-hmm. So we try to forecast and set KPIs, but they're, they're, they're loose. I mean, we, they're goals. We want to hit them. But if we don't hit them, we learn from it. It's not the end of the world. It can't be.
0: So if someone's resonating with what you're talking about and they, they feel like they're drowning in their sea of sameness.
1: <laughs> I, just, I just wrote a half chapter about the sea of sameness. And you now did? I, yeah. I do, we, I do a I drawing mean, for it. You could do a forward, yeah. I've seen your drawing actually. You did a drawing like uh, one of your uh, post-it note drawings, didn't you? I on did. Twitter, I did. I don't reference that, but well, so it's just
0: when you know when you when you're talking to people about what's going on in what, what's happening with the competition, and someone goes, "It's a sea of sameness." <laughs> but, yeah,
1: cool. Okay,
0: great. That's I haven't it. heard that that's about. That's it. One. So
1: I guess we all understand it. Yeah, perfect.
0: As opposed to actually categorizing, sorry, characterizing or editorializing what that behavior is. Yes. If everyone's doing uh, manifesto-y heart-bleeding stuff, then you might say, well, the category is about manifesto-y heart-bleeding stuff as opposed to it's a sea of sameness.
1: Right. We have to define what that is, don't we? A little bit. So you said, um, I think you corrected yourself on categorizing, but I think we do have to categorize and say, is it really a sea of sameness? Is it how, you know, there is some nuance, even if it's all... I'm trying to think of like the most uh, who just wrote someone uh, Richard uh, shot and just published uh, something on Twitter about watch advertising, how it's always 10, 10 on a watch. That's a convention. That's like a hundred years old. And even in when I was uh, creative and doing stuff that was not for a watch, but there was a watch featured in part of the visual, the photographer, the creative director, everybody would still say it has to be set to 10, 10. That's what time watches are shown in advertising. Hmm. You talking about? Mm. Why? Why does it have to be that? I get why, you know, there's some reasons why it became that way, but how are you separating yourself? The first pre- people that go to 820 or some other time, you know, 915, it's going to be different. It's going to be separating in a whole new way. If I was Breitling, I'd probably be desperate to do something different right now with people stopping buying watches.
0: So if someone's drowning in the sea of sameness, we are. I mean, I think we're saying that it is important to know what the conventions of the category are to map those behaviors, but don't just stop there and copy them. Think about why they're working. What are the principles that are making them work? And then what?
1: And how can you break them? How can and you break those? Them. So They's we do. What the brand's about. Yeah. So in our brief, we have a line. That's what is the prevailing category convention. And it's one sentence, so you actually have to distill it and define it down to, you know, what is the thing they're all talking about that we're not going to talk about or we're going to counter-program to? Or we have to cover this, but it's in there as like, this is what the rest of the category is doing. Let's build on that. What are we going to do about it?
0: Um, So for pizza, it might be sloppy pizza shots. Is that an example?
1: And and social, that's a great example. Yeah, it's all UGC. That's what's performing. And, um, you know, going back to social, we've seen... Quarter after quarter after quarter, an increase, a decrease in performance of agency produced photo shoot type content, and an increase in anything that's like UGC or feels like user generated or is influencer. Um, And the reason why, I guess, is because people don't like ads, right? I think they just want to get away from them. I think they want to avoid them. They skip past it quickly when they sniff out that it's an ad. And if they don't, if they're like, oh, what's this? Someone's at the pizza restaurant. Oh, okay, look, I like this they'll give it a chance to sink in. But now that everybody's doing that, it's probably it's only a matter of time before the dashboards start changing and we start seeing that they don't like that anymore. They want the next thing. Mm. But I don't, I don't think that's a good way to live your life. It's like waiting for the metrics to push the change. The brand should be driving what the brand is more than the results should be driving what the brand is.
0: Oh, sounds like a great, great song title, waiting for the metrics. (laughs) When, so with, with that pizza example, then on a, on a brief, uh, Just to be really silly, let's say you the people were in the fast fashion. Would you would you say you know what the category is about? Sloppy pizza shots, money shots. We are going to from a strategic point of view. We're we're going into pizza fashion, and we want people wearing pizza.
1: Yeah, you could find different ways. You know, um, one of the things that I love to do, and I wish I always did, but um, I'm not disciplined, uh, is to we do the category convention and we understand who the customer is. So we try to find adjacent or um, alternate categories and we find the conventions there for that, that that customer likes and we figure out a way to either cross pollinate them or um, steal from those because it's out of the character of this, but it's similar enough or it's something we can borrow from. So fast fashion is a great example in that space because that consumer is probably a lot of crossover for your Domino's or your pizza hut. Papa John's type customer and then your Zara and your H&M type customer. Um, so,
0: and how do you choose the adjacencies? So let's, let's say we're, cause we're talking through your process out loud, which I think is very useful for people. So you start by looking at what's going on. You characterize it, you categorize it, you, you might map on it. I, I tend to do it on a piece of paper, the 10 to 15 common, let's call them visual behaviors. What types of photos that the people are sharing and companies are sharing that are performing well. Then you, you ask why, and you break that down into, principles then what you're saying is you might then think of an adjacency which could be for this group fast fashion it could be how how does someone sell jewelry and you look at the principles there or there's some promise of long-term love and so on and so forth (laughs) certain types of close-ups how do you know what kind of adjacency to go into Is it creative is it informed by what the audience isn't into
1: yeah, it's usually, uh, inform- it starts by being informed about what the audience is into. So if we're sticking into the social metaphor, it's I can go through uh, Facebook insights, or I can go through a number of tools and get data that says uh, the people who follow this also follow that, or they're interested in these categories. And then from there, it's not just, it's not just saying, oh, okay, here's the seven categories. It's really thinking about well, what are these, which which one of these is relevant? Which one of these can I cross out? You know, they all like football. That, that might not help me. They all like racing. That might ha- not help me. They all like UFC. Well, there's something interesting there. Let's let's see what that, that's kind of confusing to me. I didn't expect that. Um, I don't know, but I, it's, there's some creativity to it in mapping out consumer interests against category convention and trying to figure out where you can crisscross things in a, in a mashup way that's Meaningful because a lot of mashups are stupid. You know, it's just um, if you're watching what's happening with memes right now, there's a lot of people that are taking me, they're smashing memes together. So, like the Infinity War meme of I don't feel so good and turning to dust with the distracted boyfriend, you know, they're smashing those things together. Every one out of every 500 of those is like, oh, it's worth a chuckle. But most of them is just like, you're just doing that because you're trying to leverage both of those things together. And it's the same in a brief it's easy for the two of us on a, on a hangout here to say, Oh, let's just take UFC and pizza and crisscross it. And something genius is going to happen. No, not really. You mm. know, it, there's the categorization that you're talking about has to, um, has to really make sense. And it has to, it has to spark something in the mind of a person who's going to do something with it. Right, right. So that's part of uh, what I'm okay. always preaching is like your job as a strategist <clears throat> We don't have a star on the Walk of Fame for strategy. We're kind of the, the background. We're great in the meeting, but we're not really important going after that. Uh, so if you don't inspire the creative people to go do something awesome, or whoever is the person that's doing work off of the brief you're writing or the doc you're writing, you failed. You didn't do, you didn't do the job. So it's about creating a, a connection that they can get excited about and spark them to think about what to do something amazing with. And so if they come back with something mediocre, it's like, well, I guess part of that's on me.
0: Yeah, yeah, so so part of your thinking to even get to that recommendation is to find something that the audience is already interested in, then intuitively, and you're going to probably do that through some kind of numbers, some quant, and then intuitively, you're looking to be surprised, but you want to make a connection through that surprise that is meaningful. So you've got familiarity, surprising connection, but a meaningful connection.
1: Yeah, it's... it's uh uh, what's it called? Your thing, uh, lateral thinking. I mean, it's connecting two things that don't go together. Um, and I've watched you present that a lot. It's, it's just that same thing. It's just more of a really building a bridge on those two things that, that I don't, never thought those two things should connect. So sometimes some of the best creative opportunities I've had, I've seen in agencies is when there's like a, you know, Dunkin' Donuts is sponsoring the NFL. Because there's a bridge that we have to figure out a way to get across to get these two things to make sense. And how are we going to do that? That's like, that is the creative team gets to just play and run wild with lateral thinking and just saying, how, how can I connect sprinkles to the referee's uniform? How can I pre- connect frosting to the lines on the field? And just thinking about all the ways that they can visually connect those things. Sometimes that creates some of the most interesting work in otherwise categories where you're like, well, I don't know, you know, the brief is like, we're selling coffee. Okay, cool.
0: Yep. Yeah. And, and for those who aren't familiar with Edward de Bono, I'm pretty sure he's the man who coined the phrase lateral thinking and all lateral thinking does is try to connect things that don't usually belong together, but in a useful way. So, and he, you can, you can find him on YouTube. He, he talks about this stuff. Um, uh, and, and, I, and I believe planning is, is an act of lateral thinking in, in a way that when you read good nonfiction, all paragraphs have a, a new way of seeing a topic or an object. So planning is ideas, creative department is ideas. It's all ideas. It's just that there are usually silent adjectives in front of the word idea when we're talking together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you said uh, it start, it, uh, the ideas will start with quant and a lot of times they will. I mean, I, I try to validate anything I'm going to do forward. Um, but sometimes the idea is just a hunch. And then, I, you know, you go track it down or you say, hey, somebody, can you prove out I have this thought? I do. If it's an insight, if I'm trying to sell something and say, this is an insight, this is worth building a church on, then yeah, I need to have quant. If it's just a hunch or something, I don't know. Well, sometimes mm-hmm. projects different budgets, different sizes, different timelines. It's like, I have time to do a three-month research study. Let's go prove it. And we go out and we do crazy research to validate it. And sometimes it's like, this is due tomorrow. Here's my hunch. Let's try it.
0: Have, have you ever built a church?
1: Not yet. Not yet. Next year. I'm going to finish this book. and then- <laughs> the,
0: church, the Church of Adam.
1: They call it planting a church, I think is the, is the expression. But no, I have not.
0: Are there certain brands that you share with clients as great examples of people of, of companies that have messed with conventions in an effective and meaningful way i assume effective and meaningful go together
1: we are starting right now with social to look at and we're just digging in on social because we have an opportunity with some new business wins and stuff to focus there there's no other reason it's just clients want it and we want to do it better um otherwise it's not it's not there's no reason to start there in particular but Uh, We've started to look at Instagram and really figure out why is this happening here and who's doing a good job. And so um, they're going to kill me because they've sent me this example so many times. There's a brand of healthy shakes. I could figure it out and send it to you after this. They do everything is black and white. Their packaging is black and white. Uh, It's really well done but there's always like a little highlight of color and that might be fruit or juice or just a color background or something. And it stands out whenever you're scrolling through your feed. uh, It stands out. It definitely is different than everything else you're seeing in your timeline or your feed. Um, And then I was telling you earlier, Adidas does an awesome job of just being Adidas. It doesn't matter if it's going to be, I know they said they're going to not do TV anymore or whatever, but if it's a 30 second film or if it's a Instagram post, it's Adidas, you know, that it's Adidas or at least it's worth looking at to figure out that it's Adidas and mm-hmm. it doesn't just blend into the background. Like, um, you know, so much stuff on, on that platform that just goes invisible.
0: Have you, have you seen what Gucci has been doing? I haven't. Cause I'm not, I'm uh, look, I'm not fancy like you, you know, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> not, not, a, not a fancy guy, not a fancy guy, but that, some of the stuff they're doing is kind of hilarious. <laughs> And it's I'm go really, really unexpected for an expensive brand.
1: Very, I'm looking it up right now. Which very is probably- surreal.
0: I, I don't know if it's ironic or post-ironic. I always get those things confused. I think it's ironic and it, eventually it'll become post-ironic. That's how it works, right? Uh, very artistic and very internet-y. You know, I feel like if they gave some of the designers I worked with a few years ago, Gucci and said, look, why don't you just be silly with it? That's what they would come up with. And I guess someone actually has done that in the past year or two. It's,
1: it's and just bringing it to life.
0: Yeah. It's, it's bizarre. It's cool. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. It's cool.
0: It's not going to make me spend a lot of money on clothes, <laughs> but you know, I like checking it out every few months.
1: Well, well, hold, let's talk about that because that's another important thing, you know, is what's the point then of being of Gucci being silly on Instagram? Well, who's Stave. the audience? Who's the audience? Stave favorability or preference the audience is uh i don't know how many the two billion users right or how many users they have a billion
0: uh hang on who is it instagram, instagram? Yeah. oh yeah but it's not you and me i mean we're not the we're not the target market it's, it's pe- people who spend fancy stuff and tell tell stories about it i'm sure there are different countries around the world where gucci is very very much a thing
1: yeah and it's not definitely not here in, in my house <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I would have thought Gucci would be huge in Phoenix. You know, you've got the perfect weather for fancy clothes down there.
1: Well, only until next week when it gets to 110. Then uh, that's all bets are off. Tank tops everywhere.
0: Was there, with, with the book Underthinker? do you have a favorite chapter?
1: Oh, man, putting me on the spot. Um,
0: that's what questions do, Adam.
1: I think I like the, um, there's a silly chapter that really adds no, no instruction, but it's called Why So Serious. And uh, it's about, you know, this is what mostly when I'm invited to speak, this is what this is the chapter people want me to talk about. Like, why do we think it's so important? Why do we act like it's so important? Why do we use these five syllable words and wear glasses and can't? it's supposed to be fun? Why aren't we having fun? Like this should be, you got into this business because you wanted to solve problems, and you're with creative, like really, really smart people. Um, and so the chapter's like, hey, just calm down. We're going to solve problems, and yeah, there's math involved, but it's it can be fun, and it doesn't have to be this dry and serious world. And for the people who act that way, it's like, dude, calm down. We're going to get there. We always get there. There's always a solution. Uh, so that that chapter has been the one that people have said, hey, can can you come talk to me about this or talk to my group about this?
0: Mm. And do, do you feel that there's a, a difference with, with that kind of theme? Because you've worked in New York,
1: you've mm-hmm. worked
0: in Arizona.
1: And Boston, yeah.
0: in Boston. Uh, can, can you identify cultural nuances within the agency world and client world between those three places?
1: Yeah, and Atlanta as well. But that was like a satellite of a New York, sort of New York op agency. But um, the, the cultural nuance is, is New York is everything you rail against. Uh, you, Mark, (laughs) you rail against its big structures. It's holding companies so that the coordinator level has no idea who's at the top of the food chain. It might as well be an alien. It might as well be Abraham Lincoln's ghost. They're so disconnected. You know what I mean? Um, That it doesn't even compute. And because of that structure, people are killing each other to climb the structure and not in the service of the work. Uh, The agency I worked at in Boston was Hill Holiday, and that was a long time ago. So I left there in 2004, 2003. Um, So a lot's probably changed, and they got bigger after I left. But the people there were so helpful and sweet. And I don't like to say the company's like a family because I know some pretty messed up families. but, But people cared about each other and supported each other in the service of the work. There was, you know, not a lot of backstabbing. And what's funny is my first exposure to New York people was people moving up from New York to that agency and just shitting the bed, just not figuring out how to plug into this and have empathy and be compassionate. They would come in and try to like be cutthroat and everybody was just like, reject, we don't want this. And there was a guy that I worked with at Hill Holiday who was rejected, who I then worked with at Jay Walter. And I talked to him about it. And he was like, yeah, he's like, I couldn't figure it out. Everybody was kind of an asshole. And I was like, "Nope, no, nope, that's actually you were the asshole. Like you didn't understand that they're all nice people there. And maybe it was just that one agency. You know, I, I don't know. I, I shouldn't speak for the entire region, but that was a cultural thing I noticed right away.
0: Yeah. that's. Uh, let's talk about Atlanta and Phoenix in a second as well. But I think that, that what you described with New York with everyone climbing over each other, it does feel like a, a bizarre dystopian Dr. Seuss book. And I... <laughs> It, it can easily become become cliche. It is it is a center of power and people come here. I, I feel like you've got to come to New York to do battle. Yeah. And some of us wander in here a little naively thinking, we're here to do great work at scale. That was what I said. And then you realize everyone else is there to do battle and to take what they can. And that's being very dramatic because there are some incredible, lovely, warm-hearted people here. But the nature of a lot of these agencies is is that because the stakes are so high. And people are overcommitted and senior people might have a second or third house and they might be hitting a divorce or divorced. And they're like, they're not looking to give up anything.
1: No. And people do come from all over the world. So it becomes like a battleground for, you know, if I can make it here anywhere, I can make it anywhere. So I better make it here. Uh, You know, you get the best of the best, but that that kind of um, drive and ambition often leads to the kind of corruption of values where it's like okay, the, the drive is actually about me and not about making great stuff. It might be about helping clients grow, you know, you know, how can I benefit from that? But to my mind, the, the focus was never sitting in a creative director's office. It was very rarely about this is the best work yeah. that consumers are going to get and it's going to click and we're also going to win awards. And it was more like, well, politically, this person needs to have a win. So, you know, it's like always some crazy thing. We had yeah, it's very very so
0: trans, very transactional. Uh, speed of transaction and, and knowing, knowing, your, knowing your place, which feels at, at odds with the idea that New Yorkers speak their minds and are very direct. It, it's some stuff. It takes a little bit of time to wrap your head around yeah. uh, when, when you say the word cutthroat, it's an easy word to use to describe New York and New Yorkers. What are some examples of behavior without defaming anyone where that can come to life? What do we mean when we say New York's cutthroat or people are cutthroat in New York?
1: There, in my experience, and I just had a guy that uh, worked with me at Santee, moved to Chicago, and he was saying, hey, you've told me some scary stories. What do I have to be prepared for as I go there? Um, and I said, I don't know if you're going to have the same thing, but here's what I dealt with. Uh, and it was more, it's not in the meeting. In the meeting, people are pretty direct, and they'll pretty much tell you, at least on the surface, like, things that everyone in the room can hear. It's more of the hallway and back office kind of, well, I don't know if I want that person on this piece of business anymore because I want to work with this group that seems to be on the ascent or I want to do this. And there's more political wrangling about the org chart than anywhere else I've ever been. There's more talking at meetings about shuffling the deck and overthrowing the... I mean, I was at uh, Jay Walter for two years and they... they got rid of three cds i mean like three ecds by the time i left i left uh and then ty montague came in he was the third one that they had gotten rid of somebody else and he came in and he he came in and what i understand is he did i don't know the man but i understand he did a great job of stabilizing the place until he left uh and getting it on the right track but there was so much this political wrangling of like, we got to get this guy out of here. He's, he's ruining everything. And then that person would leave and nothing else would change except the new ECD would be the bad guy. And (laughs) the work wasn't any better. And it was like, people were happy for two weeks. And then it was like, well, now that guy's in the way of whoever's underneath him who wants to climb up to the next level. So we got to wrangle against that. And you You know, you're there for about three months before you actually get. Try to they try to pull you into it. How long were you from Australia in New York when you were like, "Whoa, this is not what I thought." We were all being paid by the same people to be a team.
0: Well, uh, well, I mean, I came to do. Well, I I think it was pretty immediate. However, I was hired into a group of people uh that i believe publicists had gotten a loan to hire six or seven of us and we we saw each other as crew but we didn't always feel supported in the work that we thought we were there to do and you know being in and i'm not saying this particular place but sometimes being in an agency where you think you're there to good work and no one talks about doing good work that's a whole mind game You're like, what business are we in again?
1: What are we trying to do? Why are we arguing over who gets to write the brief, the approved version of the brief? I don't care.
0: Yeah. And there's a huge infatuation. I think it's changed a bit because the offices have changed. Even in the seven years I've been, there's much more open office space. Uh, Often that's actually to fit more people in so that rent is less per head. And it's done for the the idea of uh, community. But- uh, (laughs) Yeah, infatuation with org charts and watching people run around buildings with org charts, and it's like dogs are like following it. And where, where's the org chart? And it's really actually quite disrupting. And it and it seems it's important, but it can also seem small-minded because it's
1: demoralizing. Yeah, it's weird. And it's then a, people start debating. Oh, well, why is that under this? And why is this over here? And and really, the org chart is just so somebody knows who to go to when I need a question about this department. Who's the person I go to to write a check? I, I just need to, but. It creates so much drama. It's it's terrible.
0: And and how's Atlanta and how are Atlanta and Phoenix different?
1: Well, the pace is a lot different. It's more you know you, you don't move to these places like you said. New York is a place where people move to be in advertising. It's pretty unusual in that way. I mean, people will move across the country to work at places that you and I have worked at, and um, or from around the world. So the stakes are much much higher. There's much more brand uh, money flowing in there. So in Phoenix and Atlanta, it's almost um, we can talk about doing the good work. We, we want to do good work. It's really a battle to get an army of people that uh, are all focused on the same thing when they talk about good work and all agree on it. And clients that want to do good work versus just you know, get through their day and then, and then get home. You know they, The pressures are the same as in big markets, but the because there isn't that drive and there isn't that fight it's nobody's looking at con or um, the one show those things are just not in consideration really for a lot of those markets the some of the agencies in Atlanta but really not in Phoenix Um, we're not talking about that we're just trying to do great work that can separate us out a little bit and um, be satisfying
0: and is there much of a strategy or or creative community in Phoenix
1: There's a really good, there's a really strong design community and uh, there's some organizations that are trying to pull together and make it, but it's so vastly, you know, when you think of New York, you think of Madison Avenue, even though that's not accurate to where all the agencies are, but you do think of like one street. Phoenix is... Huge. So we're actually, we're technically in Scottsdale. There are agencies in Tempe. There's an agency in Chandler. There's some in downtown Phoenix. They're spread out so much that even, you know, organizations having great events. They had one last week where they brought in um, a film director who came in and talked. You're asking people to drive an hour to come in to participate in that event. I can't blame people for saying, well, I can't do it on, you know, Thursday at six because I got to work till five or work till six and then i got to get over there forget it i'm not doing that so it makes it really the geography really does make it harder um but there's there's groups trying to do it
0: well you know when we did that event in chicago and i was i was back about a, a month uh yeah a month ago in chicago a bit under a month ago and both events the one that you and i did together the one i did i had people who'd driven seven hours to get there
1: i know from minnesota i remember yeah.
0: that yeah and 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 also from other other places and it was it was, it was pretty amazing because if someone's going to do that, they're super dedicated. And that's uh, part,
1: I think that's also part of it is the dedication on the part of the people that's telling about what the culture is like. You know, I think people want to do a good job in their bubble, but they don't necessarily want to. I don't think people would drive seven hours here to go see, no offense, to see you or me, maybe 30 minutes.
0: <laughs> on, I'm just trying to see if that's offensive. No, not um and and so what uh, what's your perspective on on being a CSO right now? Vague vague question. What makes a good CSO?
1: Context. I mean, seeing um, when you say context, a lot of people think of pers- like a horizon line, but I actually think of it as stacked items that are. How does the the biggest top level objective of hey we want to increase you know, sales or whatever tie into the lowest level thing, which is like um, I don't know, cheese cost or something, you know, something that's really something weird that the, the client has their mind on. So, we don't want to push this one product that always sells because of these reasons and figuring out how to reorder those items uh, and be able to communicate just the things people need to know without overwhelming them. That's another part of um, underthinking it is the brief should, should be one page for a reason, which is you get to omit things like you don't need to know, maybe this group of people doesn't need to know about commodity prices right now. Maybe this group of people only needs to know about commodity prices right now. And that's the only thing we need to say is like maybe we're trying to sell people against ordering cheese and ordering, get them just ordering salads or, and this is a ridiculous example. It's not based on anything, but um, I think the, the CSO has to be able to operate, see all the levels and know when, where to dive into one and where to pull out of one. And that's it, communicating and receiving. So that means when the client's telling you something, it's filtering it. And when the creative team is presenting something or the social team is saying, hey, what do you think of this idea? It's being able to pull out and go, oh, I see where this plugs into the, to that stack of things. Yeah, that, that's a good idea for that level.
0: Where mm-hmm. we
1: need to be at that point?
0: Okay. Then, now on, Does that sound um, like
1: a thing that made sense or no?
0: Totally, totally, <laughs> totally. Uh, I've referred to this a couple of times, but um, Oh gosh, I think it's in a book called Talent is Overrated. And they talk about how when people get very good at what they do, they have a, a rubric or rules of thumb and they tend to be few, but because they're so experienced, they can apply them very brutally and quickly. So if some, if, like for example, famous designers might have three, four, five things that are always maybe subconsciously, maybe consciously in the backs of their minds when they're looking at work or coming up with ideas, but they just can apply them really, really quickly. But you go through this whole journey of thinking that you need to include everything. What if I leave something out? Will that show that I'm not very good at what I do as opposed to, hang on, what's the one most important thing I need to communicate right now or not communicate right now?
1: Yeah. Um, mostly what it, what it is, is editing. So uh, because I was a creative person before and because I am not less creative, I guess, but because I was a professional creative person before um, and have written a lot in, in blog and article and book form editing. And that's looking at a brief, looking at copy, looking at a campaign. Uh, In fact, the whole agency brand direction is moving into this idea of simplification and how can we make things simpler, easier. So it's the, the symbol I use in my mind is an eraser, which is just, you're going to show me a deck and I'm just going to start turning pages over that I don't think we need. You can put them in an appendix if you're really worried about it. If you're showing me a brief, it's like, I want it down to one page. Now, if it has to be a page and a quarter, Let's talk about why can't we cross things out? But I just start just crossing stuff out that I don't think is there or calling out. Like, I don't think that needs to be there. Do we need three logos or can we just use the master brand logo? Well, the client wants three. Well, let's call them and find out why they need to have this retailer logo on there if it's really important. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think think, think you develop that skill. First of all, you, you often need to see that behavior modeled or you need to hear someone like yourself say that that's part of the job and that's important. And, and then as, as practice and the more you do it, the better you are at knowing what you've already seen before, what's obvious, what's less obvious, what's most useful. Um, now on, on your podcast, the strategy inside everything we had, we had a chat about depression. Yeah. What's, uh, what's your strategy for what's, what's a good strategy
1: for depression? Oh, you're turning the tables on me. You son of a B. Yeah. Um, my strategy is, um, Setting goals, so setting short-term goals and then kind of uh, longer-term goals that give me something to focus on. If you get, I find myself, if I withdraw and I start to get down, what I'm doing is like really getting in my own head. So I try to give myself things to project out to and I've even noticed, um, this is gonna sound crazy, so sorry, but uh, my Twitter usage goes down when I'm in a depression, I actually will know before I know I'm in a depression or I'm down. Um, be like, oh, I haven't posted anything in a while. I'll I'll kind of observe and be in the wings, or maybe I'm not even on. That's a pretty crazy thing to recognize, but I've noticed it's true. So I try to start writing more, and maybe it's on Twitter, and maybe it's just you know morning pages, or maybe it's like uh, blogging more, but. Even recently, I was in a uh, just writer's block for 30, 40 days where I just could not get a word down. I was barely posting anything and barely, it was not exchanging ideas is what it is. And they're just sitting in here, they're churning and they're that's not a good, for me, that's not a great headspace. So um, short term, figuring out ways to express ideas, even if it's expressing them just on paper that you're going to throw away creating longer term goals. So I started running again and started making sure, okay, well, what's the goal? You know, What am I trying to achieve with my running or what am I trying to do? And then the other thing is I have uh, two smaller kids and I try to get them to tell me, I try to like activate them to say, hey, let's do a project. What do you want to do? And throw myself into that with them and let them lead and just be a passenger because watching them get excited about it then I start to nerd out and I'll be like, oh, well, let's go to YouTube and check this out and we'll find some stuff about it. So um, that turns your brain on it and you just have to have a spark that's not about your own stuff.
0: Yeah. So,
1: you know, you, my daughter wants to do a painting that she has this crazy idea for. It's like, okay, let's figure out how to do that. That's cool.
0: Yeah, it's almost like uh, some catchphrases were coming to mind as you were talking. but it's, it's, you can summarize it in these three points. Do a thing, get it out, move about. <laughs> But it, is, it, is totally, it is totally like that because depression and rumination, they suck you back into your brain.
1: You got to get out. And
0: they keep you, you there. And by moving about, you first of all, that triggers stuff in your head and chemistry, but you remember that you're a physical being.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And by setting goals, you have something to externalize, something to focus on, and that feels good. And, uh, and away you go. I like it.
1: Well, there's a reason why in winter in the Northeast, that's you know, the highest depression season there because people are – kind of hunkered down. They're in their house They're not getting around. Um, And that's why I think that's why you're seeing a lot of um, depression and loneliness among youth is because they are boiling into internet culture, not outside. We used to go to the mall, which is super lame, but you were walking around, you were seeing other people, you had stimulation. um, So you were out integrate, you know, actually seeing people.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, isolation is one of the biggest things that's getting talked about now as far as depression and, and also because it can connect to addiction. And then I guess there's things like adrenal fatigue uh, where you're constantly stimulating yourself and you just, uh, Yeah, uh,
1: I'm probably guilty of that. I mean, t- like I mentioned Twitter, that's all the dopamine hits every day. It's just like, yeah. oh, I don't even know how you do it with the volume of notifications you must get. I have them all turned off and I don't get very few, but it's like, I can't get excited about a tweet i can't let myself i'll just be burned out by 10 30 i'll be like
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i find i mean i turned off my i did go into a bit of a yoga meditation phase and i turned i deleted a lot of apps i turned off a lot of notifications and i just felt less fun and so i turned a lot of stuff back on about two years ago and, and now it's just a bit of fun but i know i totally relate to what you're saying if i'm feeling a bit sad or down my creation will disappear and the best thing I could do is do something like this or, or do it, or, or do a talk, do some training. Um, cause being, how a, did your,
1: how did your Nashville training go? That was good. Yeah.
0: yeah. Nashville's a cool city. And it was so busy that we I can because I mean, Nashville's awesome. And, 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 oh, and the I, the predators,
1: predators were going,
0: predators were going, there was, and apparently since New Orleans, New, New Orleans, uh, got a little bit messed up. A lot of people do, uh, bachelor and bachelorette parties in Nashville. So it's become even more boisterous. But I, I did that. I did a training, a little training session there. And then I went back to my comfort Inn hotel, which is a pretty standard hotel that cost way too much because it was so windy, <laughs> on at about 2 p.m. on a Friday afternoon. And there were 50 people in this regular hotel slash motel pool I was like, what on earth is going on right now? They all disappeared by five and they all, and then they're all out and came back at like three or four AM. I was like, wow. Oh,
1: I love it. Did uh, you, did you go out and, and have some fun or were you just trying to sleep? And put the pillow well, I,
0: I usually go, I usually go watch stand up comedy and then I did go to a honky tonk. Uh, you have to. Yeah. You have to. Was so. the comedy good? It was. Yeah. It was at Zanies. Yeah. Zanies. I've been to Zanies in, in Chicago, which was cool. And Zanies in Nashville was really cool.
1: Huh. Yeah, I got to get back. I haven't been in Nashville in a while.
0: Well, we can do that. So when, hey, where's, when's your book coming out?
1: <clears throat> oh, man, it's going to be a while. So um, I'm only six months out from the last, from Underthink It being released. This one, I'm trying to set in goals. I'm trying to have a uh, a draft of this in, I said three months. So like end of July, I'm hoping to have the draft. I was I had written a lot of a book and then I realized I don't want to write this book. This isn't the book I want to release. Mm. So I scrapped it and um, I've got a collection, I guess, of essays is what I'll turn the chapters into. And I'll just release them to Adweek or whoever will publish them. And mm. you know, hopefully, hopefully someone will want them. Otherwise they'll go on my blog, but I rebooted the whole book. Um, so uh, starting over. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully this is the one, but it's so hard. So putting it on Putting it on paper is really putting yourself out there. I mean, putting, people do come up to me and say, hey, now on chapter seven, line, page this, you know, some people really do call you out and say, you know, and you realize like, oh, I really did put myself out there. I don't think there's anything harmful in the book or aggressive or weak. I don't even think I said anything controversial in any way. It's very mm. subtle. I think you referred to it as doing a sick dance, um, like, like walking the line. And I was deliberately trying to be safe. But, People read the words and they can take anything out of it. And people say, "Well, what does it? What does that mean? You're wrong about that." and It's like, "Well, hold on. Let me let me hear what you're saying, but I don't want to argue. I just wrote this thing. I don't (laughs) want to fight about it. It's not a manifesto."
0: I'm just thinking aloud, and I happen to write it down and publish it. Sorry.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you write a blog, and it feels temporary, and and it's like, ah, it's okay when it's on paper you know, you're at a bookstore and, and people you're, you're doing signings, people are like, no, hold on. What's the, you know, it feels like more, much more personal and scary.
0: Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I did a little session at huge with uh tinny Yip from strategist without, I don't think there are any vowels in that, in that title and Tina, Tina organizes events. And we did an event on clarity and without any slides. And I just started because um, people have been coming to Sweathead in the group and, as they answer, I ask them a question. What's one thing you want to get better at? And in this particular month, a lot of people had used the word clarity, which can often mean writing better propositions or understanding how to present or understanding what idea is good. So we we did this session on clarity. Uh, and again, like I said, without slides. And we started off by saying, what does the word clarity mean to you, AT people? <laughs> and everyone had a different definition. And so, you know, when you... And then why is clarity important? How is clarity going to change your life? How do you usually get to clarity? Is there a time in your life when you've reached clarity? How did you get there? So we go back to the first principles like the way that we were talking about with social posts. And it's, it's interesting because people will read into you and whatever you say, you might remind them of a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever friend from a long time ago or a parent and you're going to trigger them and maybe in a good way or not good way. Yeah. And uh, you can't define every single, single word you use as long as you are hopefully doing it with a... Good positive intention. You're going to make some mistakes.
1: Yeah, for sure. And speaking without slides, was it recorded, or was it just kind of the room and who was, was there? Got
0: to- yeah, I think someone recorded it, but they told me later.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> dick move. Um, yeah, not cool. Um, but you, that's you know, that just lives there. It goes as far as people's ears, and then they process it one way or another. Which um, I really like that. I wish. I wish it was recorded or if it was, then share it with me because uh, I'd like to see what those 80 people heard about clarity. That sounds interesting.
0: Well, I I do. I I do think it's useful. And I, I say this to everyone who's listening at whatever stage of career that you, when you're starting out, you yearn to be the person who can make a presentation at work or to lead one or to play an important role. And then some of us, some of you will then yearn to do a presentation outside the building. Uh, you might, you know, whether it's a Petra Kucha or an Ignite or a TEDx talk or just talking to your professional community. Uh, however, I really do think it's important that as you do these talks to mess with the conventions of them and maybe to not turn up with slides and actually to get people to walk around their own heads because that's what they're there for. Most people come to these talks. First of all, they are the dedicated person because they could have gone home. They are the dedicated person. Often they come to these talks wanting to learn something, but also they they want to not feel unusual because back at the office, no one else is as dedicated as them and they've got all these ideas and techniques and they want to be in a room of people who are like that and they're not used to that. And so when you're doing these talks, they don't have to be talks. It doesn't just have to be a single person up on stage doing these things. You could do it with slides, without slides. You could take people for a walk. You know you, you want to give people space to explore their own heads because that 's why they 're there they 're there for their own heads more than they 're ever going to be there for you
1: yeah, and uh, another thing this, this is actually mentioned in the book, but i 'm um, not I have the title that people probably want, but i 'm not the the expert the end all be all I have more experience i 'm still trying to learn someone else could come into the room with a better idea um, one of the when you and I did the thing in Chicago. Getting feedback from the room and we were like, oh, then let's skip the next section because they want to talk about that. That is empowering if I'm going to help people and I'm going to learn from them at the same time. I can get both of those things happening and then everybody's enriched, including me. I don't want to just give presentations because I like to talk. I want to get something out of it. Now, that might be in some cases I'm pitching new business. I want to win. I'm doing a training. I want to help people advanced to what they want to learn. And I want to customize it for them. So they're learning the thing they want to learn. Like you asked, what's the thing you want to get better at? Um, so it's, you have to be, as a junior person, I think you look at the, the people that are modeling strategy leadership. And we go, oh, they always have the, the answers. You know, some junior people that have worked with me have said, oh, you, you can just jump right to that. And it's like, well, let, let's talk about how I did that you know, let's, let's stop right there. Cause I can't always do it. I just did it this one time. And to you, it seems easy, but let's, let's let me just rewind for two seconds and I'll explain to you how I did it. These are the logical leaps I made. Mm. Like, maybe they're wrong. I don't even know. When someone praises me, are, are you the same way? Do you get skeptical of like, well, maybe what I said, wasn't that great. I'm like, let me rethink that and just make sure what I said makes sense.
0: Yeah. But I've had to, I mean, one of them, one of my mantras, <laughs> one of my mantras is yeah, I have total imposter syndrome. I mean, I grew up with right. a bit of an, Uh, Yes, I'm a white male, but I grew up with a bit of an outsider mentality uh, and a bit sensitive and over aware of things and can't turn the brain off and know that I can always do better. So it's all all that sort of stuff, much of which would be shared by many of the people listening. Yes. Uh, However, increasingly, I am confident that if we were working together, we would get somewhere good in the time we have. And I'm at peace with that because I think I've been around enough work to be able to say that that's a fact. Yeah. And then what we've done, which I've loved, is the idea of most of what we've talked about. We might have talked about a, a topic, but at the heart of it, there's some, a set of principles or an operating system, which you use the topic to get to, to then come at the same topic again, or even to get into a new topic. And that's a lot of what strategy work is.
1: It's never the thing. It's the thing underneath the thing. That's I mean, the, the, client never, yeah, the client never asks you, they say, here's, the, here's why we want to do this thing. And it's never the reason why, that's never the insight, you know? They never come to you with it, which is, that's the fun of the job is to figure out how to dig and figure out how to stitch these things together and get to someplace interesting, so.
0: Love it, love it. Where can people find you and your book on the internet?
1: On the internet, you can go to uh, Amazon and you can type in underthink it and that's three words uh, and you will find it, I'm sure. I believe it's the only book with that title so far. So, amen. Uh, You can find me on Twitter, I'm at APierno. Uh, and those are the two best places to find me. Or you can check out Santi.com if you want to see what the hell that is, because you probably uh, have not heard that much about the agency. But we're doing great stuff.
0: Awesome, awesome. All right, man. Well, thank you very much for making the time to speak with us. Oh, of course,
1: That's well, Thank you for having me. This is awesome.
0: Let's do it again. Best, best of luck with the current book. Best of luck with the new book, and uh, best of luck with all the other strategy st- stuff. The strategy <laughs> inside of everything. Inside of everything. Best <laughs> of luck with the strategy inside of everything.
1: Oh yeah, you can find that on I think on iTunes. Although it's been glitchy, I'm going to try to reset that now.
0: Didn't I tell you that I struggle with names? Like yeah. I get I get, really, <laughs> I get really anxious that I'm going to forget did. someone's name, and mispronounce did. it, or forget their job or their I, I do it every single, I get very anxious.
1: Yeah, you do. You uh, did tell say, me, so it's cool.
0: I, know, I could say a crass joke and feel no anxiety about that, and then I'm like, oh, what's the person's name again? I've only known them for x number of years. Oh my god.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and it's like your wife.
0: <laughs> well, uh, well all right man well good luck enjoy the rest of the day
1: all right man thank you for having me i appreciate it
0: peace see you man.
1: later.